We're in the book of Romans, and for the past four weeks, we've dug down into just the first four verses of Romans chapter 10, because we were trying to answer one big question that's a very important question. Why? Why do so many people reject this free offer of the gospel or salvation in Jesus Christ? And so we spent four weeks looking at what Paul is telling us about this, about the message, as well as why people stumble and get hung up thinking it's some other way. But now today I want us to move on into the rest of chapter 10 because there's a second equally important question that sadly is surrounded by a great measure of confusion as well. And it's this question. How is anybody ever going to hear this good news And even have an opportunity to either reject or accept it. How's that going to happen? We live in a big technological day. There's all kinds of ways this could happen. Is it going to be that God is going to send people visions and dreams? Will it be that God will speak audibly to someone in their bedroom, in their car, in the shower... Is it going to be that someone's just going to suddenly come to their senses and have a great sense that they are a sinner in the sight of a holy God and that he has actually given his son to do for them what they could never do for themselves? Well, make sure you understand God can do it any way he pleases. And he often does. But in Romans chapter 10, he tells us Without any confusion, what is the primary way that God is going to get this message of good news, of life in Christ, hope in Christ, forgiveness in Christ, the gift of eternal life? He tells us the primary way he intends to get this done. And it might surprise you because it's on you. This is going to land in your lap if you're here and you're a Christian. So you might want to buckle up before we read the passage. But turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Skip those four verses that are smeared and all worn out from four weeks there. And start right in on verse 5. A nice clean verse. Start with verse 5. Romans chapter 10 verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is based on the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of, say it, faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the what? Say it, Lord Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? Now he's going to quote from Isaiah again. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by, say it, hearing and hearing by the word of God. Most of your translations might say word of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word to us, for communicating so clearly to us, not just how we can be right with you, but how you intend to make things right in this world that desperately needs more than a new economic plan or a peace plan between Israel and Lebanon or a, or a health plan or health care or financial investments or social security being strengthened. All of those calamities pale in comparison to this great need we have. What are we going to do with our sin as we're separated from a holy God and accountable to a holy God? Thank you for Jesus Thank you for the gospel. And oh God, show us, show us how you want to use us in your plan to save lost sinners. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, there's so much more that we could still sort out in verses 5 to 11. But to avoid repeating so much of what I've already talked about in the last four weeks, let me just summarize it and suffice it to say... That what he's doing in verses 5 to 11 is still driving home to them that salvation or this gift of righteousness from God is by faith and not works. And he's quoting from a number of Old Testament passages to do so. It's by faith, not works. In those verses, he uses the word righteousness three more times. It's righteousness we need, a righteousness from God. And he uses the word faith or believe five times. Times. And so here's my first point that I want to make today. This free off the gospel is through faith alone in what Christ alone has already done for us. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You have to receive it. You don't deserve it. It's by faith. By faith. You have to receive this gift of eternal life or righteousness from God based on what his son has already done, not what you are trying to do. But then verse 12 answers a question that surely is popping to a number of your minds. Whenever you hear such good news, and we keep calling this good news, good news, good news, because it is. When you hear amazing news that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you can't work for it, you don't earn it, you don't bring anything to the table, then the, then the natural question is, hey, who gets in on this? Who can have this? 
Who is this for? Is there something I have to do to pre-qualify or to become a candidate for the free offer of the gospel? He answers that in verse 12. Look at it in verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever ever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's the second point I want to make. This free offer of the gospel is for every person without distinction. Just let that settle in for a minute. Don't move too quickly past that. Because it is unlike anything we experience in this world. It does not matter. In this life, things start off sounding great. You know, the the message on your phone machine. Oh, we're just trying to get a hold of you, Mr. Bigney. We've got you lined up for a free, all expense paid, three-day cruise. All we need is you to call back. Do I call back anymore? Did I ever call back once? I did. Stupid. Do I call back anymore? No, I don't call back. They want my credit card. There's all kinds of stipulations. There's all kinds of qualifications. There's all kinds of additional expenses. That's this world. That's this life. Even like on surveys, I have messages because we have a lot of companies in our area that do surveys for big companies like P&G, etc. And so I've got this message saying, we want to talk to you. We want to use you in a survey. It's $75 for one hour. I like that. I'm willing to do that. I call back. By the time they ask me a series of questions and find out I'm 52, I'm a pastor, I'm white, I'm whatever, I'm no longer a candidate. It wasn't just anybody could take this survey and make 75 bucks. That's how it started. But as the discussion ended, I'm not getting the 75. I'm not a part of it. That's this life. This gospel is not like that. Notice those precious words in verse 12. There is, say it with me, no distinction. Say it again. No distinction. Not gender, not skin color, not education, not financial status. No distinction. None. Not then when Paul wrote this. Not now, not ever. Unlike anything In this world, how rare is that in a world so filled with prejudice and qualifications, stipulations? Almost everything else in this world, there's some distinctions that end up being made or some fine print that excludes somebody for some reason, somehow. But it gets even better. No distinction. And then there's another word that for me, I hope it did for you too, just jumps off the page in verse 12. Rich, rich, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now look at me. For the Lord over all. So there's no one outside of his purview, his authority, his dominion, his reign. And so we begin to say, oh, yikes, you're not your own person doing your own thing out there somewhere. You are under his authority. And that could be a scary thought, except for what he says next. For the Lord over all is, say it, rich to how many? All who call upon him. Say, wow. Say, thank you, Lord. 
Oh my goodness. That's why we call this good news. That's why we call this good news. The gospel is good news. Same Lord over all is rich to all. So now here's what I want you to do with that. If that's how God is operating, if that's what he's saying about himself, the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. Then let me poke and tell you what I think we tend to do that God does not do and we must stop doing it. We have a tendency to rule certain people out before we even open our mouth to share the gospel. And we think, he's so not interested. She's so not interested. Either based on how they look, how they're talking at work. It can be scary, granted. It can be scary. Some of the scariest people I've sat next to on planes have turned out to be the most interested. Scary people are interested. Don't be scared. Uh, I, I think I told you one time, I sat next to this guy that had ginormous rings on every finger and a, like a Japanese silk robe thing going on and hair that went down to his buttocks and just dark glasses like whatever that Howard Stern guy was like, yikes, that's my seatmate. Turns out he's been reading the Bible for 30 days every morning. And says to me, I said, why? He said, I just had this incredible urge that I should read the Bible. He's 44 years old. And we had an amazing conversation. We rule people out sometimes. And we, we do pre-qualify or think there's only certain people. Right now, you think about at work, where you work. Who you play ball with. Those that are on your street. Are you not guilty of a little bit thinking, well, they might be interested. I could one day, someday, maybe see myself talking to them because they already seem nice. It's like we're we're looking for these certain people that we think already have two steps towards Christianity. Don't do that. And I'm as guilty as any, so I'm not just hammering on you. But I'm asking God, God, help me not to do that. Help me not to decide ahead of time who I should even speak this word of hope to. The same Lord over what? All is what? Rich to how many? All. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. And when you think about it, I can't figure out why we do that. Why do we do that? Because when you go to the Bible, you do not see in God's family album of his family who comes into the family of God. This. Everybody looks the same. They all when you when you read through the Bible, you're like, yep, I see it. I see it. I see it. They all have that same. They're not the same. When you look to God's word and you look at snapshots of his family album, you've got prostitutes and liars And murderers. And Zacchaeus who was a thieving tax collector with more money than he knew what to do with. You've got Joanna who was married to Chusa who was the head household manager for Herod. Does that name ring a bell? Nice guy. Way into Christianity. Playing Christian music in his palace. Wicked man. And his number one man running his household, Chusa, his wife Joanna, comes to faith in Christ. You think about Paul the Apostle himself who's writing this letter. Would we have picked him out? All right, there's a man that is actually persecuting Christians, dragging them off to jail, getting permission to go to other cities and do the same, trying to destroy the church, and he's brilliant. Brilliant scares us. He's freakishly smart. 
He had the equivalent of a PhD education. He had a name among names. And you'd think, I am not going to try to talk to him or her. You got somebody like that at work? Freakishly smart. Hey, guess what? People that look scary and people that are freakishly smart still have a soul. And they still long. They still ask questions. They still suffer. They still wonder, what is it all about? Do not think that unless I'm smarter than them, I shouldn't even open my mouth and try to share the gospel. God took Paul the apostle, Paul who was Saul, rocked his world, and the very man who had been persecuting Christians, trying to stamp out the church, went on to write most of the New Testament and spent the rest of his life taking journeys around the then known world starting churches that he had tried to destroy initially. That's what our God does. And he delights in doing it. And some of you sitting here know that you are one of those. You know, he rocked my world. You aren't on a path already with Sunday school pins saying, I'm way into niceness already. Some of you are way into all kinds of other stuff. And God had mercy on you. And I'll tell you what else. Somebody had the courage and love and compassion to speak to you about the God who wanted to have compassion on you. That's how God works. That's how God works. Don't profile or pre-qualify people that you think might be interested in the gospel. Now, here's the main point. Here's the main point that I want to make today with the time that remains. God designed this free offer of the gospel... Here's what he designed, that this free offer of the gospel should be spread to other people around us by us. It should be spread by us to other people around us using real words in a real world that can sometimes be really hostile to the message. Us, you, God's designed to spread this good news through us to other real people using real world words in a real world. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 spells it out for us. Look at Romans 10, 14 and 15 again. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not even believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not even heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? And how about this? Look at me a minute. Don't rule yourself out and say, aha, right? There's what I'm talking about, Brad. These verses are not for me, big sweaty man. I'm not a preacher or a pastor or a missionary. And that's why we pay you and the pastors to witness at the gym and to talk to people on a plane. In fact, I'm just praying my neighbors will take a flight next to you and that'll get it done (laughs) because you are the one that does this. You speak the gospel at the gym, in your neighborhood. In fact, please come to my neighborhood and do it because you're it. Tag, you're it. Can you imagine how few people would come to Christ? Now, here's what I think is interesting. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if I was to say, how many of you came to Christ because of someone full-time paid to be churchy, whether pastor, missionary, youth pastor, student ministry on campus, I believe there would just be very few hands. 90 to 95% of the people who come to Christ, it's through other regular, regular, normal, I am not normal, normal Christians at the workplace, in the neighborhood, at the gym, in the grocery store. It's amazing to me, 
So many of you came to faith in Christ through someone like that speaking to you and you've come to faith in Christ and now you've shut down saying, but I'm not going to do that. We'll let pastors and preachers and missionaries do that. But that's not how you even came to Christ. No, it's quiet now. (laughs) These verses, Romans 10, 14 and 15, were meant to challenge and stir every Christian sitting here today to understand that wherever it is that God has you, whatever your sphere is, and please know, Do not quit your job, and we do not want to hire all of you on staff. We do not. If you're a carpenter, keep being the best carpenter and look for an opportunity. Because here's the deal. That word preach, right there in Romans 10, 14, 15, is the word in the Greek, caruso, and it simply means to proclaim or publish. To proclaim or publish. You be a carpenter, and you look for opportunities to proclaim or publish. I call it... Run the flag up the flagpole. Just run it up there. Say Jesus. Jesus! See what happens. I mean, just mention, yeah, Thursday night at our Bible study. It's amazing how Christians go out of their way to make sure, don't ever mention Bible study, small group, church, worship CD, anything like that. You don't even have to just hit someone with the full gospel. It's like, God is holy. You're a sinner. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Jesus took on flesh, came to the earth, kept the law perfectly, gave his life, wrath poured out, rose again, coming back, believe by faith. Just say Jesus. Start with Jesus. Just be willing to put it out there that, to cause them to think, I guess they might be a Christian. They still read the Bible, they think, or as I was praying the other day, or God's really encouraged me, or one of my Christian friends helped me run the flag up the flagpole. God intends to use every believer, every believer to spread this message. And so, since I do believe that, I want to use the time that I have remaining to diffuse what I think are the most common hurdles that keep us from spreading this good news. Number one, Don't be afraid of people's response to the gospel. I think we get so worked up about being rejected. Let me look at me and let me say it this way. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. It's like, oh my goodness, they 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 it was such an awkward moment. Hell is going to be incredibly awkward and eternal. Can you not love them enough to risk an awkward moment? And you say, like ever since I talked to them and brought up spiritual things or revealed I'm a Christian, they act different around me. Okay. How painful is that? Oh, I just can't live with... Do you see what I'm saying? It's pathetic. People are going to an eternal hell apart from God and you know a message that changed your life that could change their life and you're worried about rejection. And we don't even live in a country that we're talking, I'm worried about imprisonment. I'm worried about torture. I'm worried about being ha- having tar put on me and lit as a garden party torch like what's happening back in other days. It's just they may act awkward and then you see some people at the water cooler talking and laughing and you think they've talked about to others about what I said and they're laughing at me. Get over yourself. They're not rejecting you anyway. When they reject this message, they're rejecting God, His Son, and His message. You're just the mailman. You're just an ambassador. Don't be afraid to speak the gospel. And don't be afraid of people's response to it. And, get, and, and how about this? People rejecting it is not a new thing. 
Sometimes today we just think, but it's so hard today. There's so many more atheists now and there's so many more smart people and they're reading on the internet and there's so many more rebuttals to Christianity. And so, so, so we work ourselves up and, and the tendencies always think today's the worst day there's ever been. That is a lie. There's always been people. It's always been a problem. You say, how do you know that, Brad? Look at verse 16. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? He is quoting. He is quoting from Isaiah 53. Which is the greatest chapter in all the Old Testament, perhaps all the Bible, of giving you an amazingly clear picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. You know the passage? But we usually jump in at, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It was for our transgression he was bruised. It was for our iniquities that he was beaten. It was for our peace That he gave his life. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. But do you know how that chapter begins in verse 1? Lord, who has believed our report? 600 years before Jesus ever came. Nothing's changed. There will always be people that are resistant, indifferent, hostile. Don't be afraid of people's response to the gospel. Second hurdle. Number two, don't think they're, oh, if we could get a hold of this, don't think that their first response is going to be their last word about the gospel. Again, I could ask for a show of hands. How many of you, when you first heard about the good news that Jesus came, died for our sins, rose again, it's not by works, you put your faith in him, you can be made right with the God of the universe. You heard that for the first time and you said, oh my goodness, yes, yes. Where has this been? I bet, I bet it is 0.03%. All the rest of you had heard it in some form. Someone has said it, or you grew up in a church and you heard it, you knew it, you heard it, you heard it, you heard it, you heard it, you knew it, you heard it, you knew it. And then there was that moment, bam, where the Holy Spirit took out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, unstopped deaf ears, opened blind eyes, and you heard it as if you'd never heard it before. But you'd heard it before. You may not be the one that gets to see someone drop to their knees. But you're sharing the message. And almost all of us have to hear it in different ways from different people over a period of time. As God draws people to himself. Don't assume that when they, ah, like, ah, I won't bring. And let me say it to you this way. Don't think in terms of one and done. Think in terms of beginning gospel conversations. Too often I think Christians think, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow at work. I'm going to talk to him. We armor up. We come swooping in like a parachute in like a SWAT team. Give it to him. Get out. We jump in our Jeeps, dust blowing. We drive off. A Christian just shared with me. And that's how it feels to them also. It feels very militant and perhaps scary versus I love them. I talk to them about all kinds of things. The Bengals, bourbon, children, grandchildren, fall leaves. And, oh, by the way, I look for opportunities to just go spiritual and mention things. Think in terms of beginning, ongoing, spiritual, gospel conversations. Not one and done. I'm in. I'm out. I did it. I was obedient. Never going to say that again. Never going to bring it up again. Trust me, you'll never hear from me about that again. Now their blood's not on my hands. Hallelujah. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. Don't assume their first response is going to be their last word. I'll give you another place that shows someone understood this. The Apostle Peter understood this. Because there's a verse in 1 Peter 2.12 where he says, Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers. It's happening today. We're the evil ones. We're the haters. We're the reason there's all these wars. That's what's being said now, that Christianity is not good. You actually are evil when they speak against you as evildoers. So that when, uh, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What? Do you see any contradiction in that verse? It's like it starts off saying, first they speak against you as evildoers, but then later... Many of them are going to glorify God for those very deeds that you did and words you spoke. Here's what's going on, my friends. There's a time lapse in 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 2, 12, between you speaking those words or doing a loving deed and them glorifying God. And, and remember this. When you walk away, oh, this can be such a comfort. When you walk away, God keeps working. God's still working. You don't know the end of the story. And everybody doesn't seek out that person that shared with them. Everybody doesn't try to find an address or an email or a phone number and say, I'm going to call them and let them know, even though I hated them and acted so ugly. But I guarantee you, some of you who've tried to share, who've loved enough to share, who've been courageous enough to share, there are people sitting in some small group Bible study or church classroom in California or Oregon or Texas Talking about you. They might not even remember your name, but there's this guy at work and he did talk to me. I was so ugly. Now they know Jesus, love Jesus, and you were a part of that process. You just don't know it. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, continue to remain honorable in your conduct so that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Everybody doesn't come back and thank you later. But the story's not over in that moment. More is going on. More is going on. Always. See, here's the deal. Picture 1 Peter 2.12, that between them speaking evil of you and them glorifying God, there's an interim that is awkward. And you have to be willing to be ill thought of, slandered, mocked, marginalized, and just say to yourself, I was obedient and the story's not over. God's working. And someone else may come along and say something else. And that person thinks, here we go again. That person already told me something like this. Now this person is saying this. God uses many people in the process of drawing people to Christ. Third hurdle. Step up to using words and get over trying to be a silent sermon. Step up to using words and get over trying to be a silent sermon. You've got to lay to rest. I'm just going to live like Jesus Get this, Jesus lived like Jesus and used words. Jesus himself didn't say, I'm Jesus. I'm going to perfectly live by Jesus and like Jesus, that should be enough. He used words. Please live like Jesus. Please do. You living like Jesus will often get someone's attention, but they are not likely to connect that to Jesus and Christianity unless you say so. You got to say so. You take money back into Myers because they gave you too much change. 
Don't just walk in there and give it back. And they're like, nobody does this. And you're like, I still do. What? Say you're a Christian. Say you're a Christian. I came back because I'm a Christian and I want to be honest and I follow Jesus. It's as simple as that, folks. Connect whatever you're doing as you live like Jesus. Use words to give God the glory, to give Jesus the glory. They will not automatically make the connection. Got to use words. And let me help you here. As you use words, as often as possible, use God's words. Quote scripture. Quote the Bible. Say, the Bible says... God says, and you're like, Brad, wait a minute. Almost nobody believes the Bible anymore. People say, what about my friend that says, I don't believe the Bible? There's no reason to keep quoting the Bible. Oh, you couldn't be more wrong. Look at verse 17 in our passage. So then faith comes by how? Hearing Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me say it to you this way. You keep quoting the Bible to people who say they do not believe and God will help some of them to begin to believe as they hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Never, never mind. But, but they're saying stuff, right? You're, you're having a debate with someone. They keep saying stuff and say, well, if you don't mind, I've heard you say that you don't believe the Bible, but you are obviously basing your life on some authority. For me, the Bible is my authority. So as we talk, I'm just going to keep quoting the Bible. Folks, you are giving them precious and powerful words that could actually begin to grow faith in them. Faith comes by hearing. People do not naturally have faith. Faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that faith is a gift. I'll tell you how God begins to give unbelievers some faith. They are hearing God's word, hearing God's word, hearing God's word. And most of them aren't coming here on Sunday begging to hear my sermons. But you're out there in the marketplace quote the Bible. But now here's an awkward moment. You can't quote what you don't know. Oh. And you can't know it unless you read it. Oh. And you can't read it unless you turn the stupid TV off or shut down the computer or refuse to look at your smartphone 90,000 times each day. Don't tell me you don't have time to read your Bible and pray. If you just got a regular phone that only made phone calls, you'd get an hour and a half back in your life. Instead of all this constantly. Just, just, it's world changing. It's so important. Oh, that's so fu- There's a funny video. There's this. There's that. You can read your Bible. And if you're a Christian, you must. So you can pass on God's words with your words. Because his words will not return unto him void, he says. Quote the Bible. Say, God says. And some people can begin to believe as they hear words they say they don't believe in. Faith comes by hearing. Let me give you another hurdle. Don't think you're ever going to speak to people about God until you first start speaking to God about people. And I'm talking about prayer. Prayer. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I do not have the gift of evangelism, but I will tell you what God has done for me. And I I leaned into it and I fight hard to not let go of it. Even though though there's not a hundred people here now, there's 1800 people here and I'm much busier, but I've not let go. When I came here in 1996, I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I was your average Christian. It wasn't that I didn't pray, but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, let's pray. I said, I'm going to pray. I am going to pray. I'm going to fast and pray. 
and I haven't let up. And here's what's happened. As I pray for people by name, and I meet neighbors and I write their names down, and the kids, I meet someone at the gym and I write his name, and this lady cleans here and I write her name down, name, name. And I pray when you are praying for lost people and crying out to God for them, it is much more likely that you will speak to them in real time when you see them because you're like, there they are, they're outside their house, they're in their yard, and I met them and I've been praying for them. Doesn't mean every conversation I have to run over and say, you're going to hell. I've been praying for you and I hope that. Sometimes I just talk about the kids. Sometimes I talk about Dixie High School football. Sometimes I talk about the Bengals. But sometimes there's a chance to just put in there, run it up the flagpole. Jesus. Bible, church, God, life, death. But I am more likely to do that because I was praying for them. Praying, praying, praying. So now I've just made it more awkward. You got to get up in time to read your Bible and pray. But folks, we're in the last days. If you're not doing it now, when are you going to do it? And, and the souls of people are on the line. Don't live so selfishly. Just rush into your job, getting the kids to that sporting event, thinking about adding off on the back of the house and your next vacation and where we're eating out. And you're just, you're walking past people who are going to spend eternity somewhere. And the Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. And how can they call unless they hear? And someone has to proclaim it or publish it. And God has you on that campus. And you in that workplace. And you working with that team. And you with that position of influence. Not just to make money. But to proclaim. Speak the good news. Look for opportunities. If you're not in the habit of praying for lost people by name, I guarantee you will not speak to lost people about the name Jesus. Those of you that have been pushing back all this year saying, I'm so sorry he's on this whole courage and confidence thing. It's just driving me nuts. Let me tell you where to start. Start praying. You say, I'm still not opening my mouth. It's not my personality. Okay. Start praying. Start praying. To God. For people by name who are lost. And watch what might happen. Watch what might happen. I don't have time to turn you there. But Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 to 5 is a place to go. To look at the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 to 5 where he says pray earnestly. Being vigilant in it. That you may. And it's interesting right there in that passage. He uses words that talk about words four times. That your speech and that I'll know how to speak to someone the mystery of Christ. And that I'll know how to answer and that I'll be bold to speak. Four times in that passage you pray earnestly. And the word earnestly in the Greek means courageously persistent and won't let go. Long before I speak to people about Jesus, I just won't let go of them in prayer to God. I don't give up on anybody. I don't give up on anybody. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Earnestly, vigilantly. And right in that passage, he says, redeeming the time. Walk carefully towards those who are outside. He's talking about unbelievers that are outside the church. Consider how you're living your life, redeeming the time for what matters most. 
You ought to be thinking, how can I connect with an unbeliever? Who could I do a cookout with? Who could I invite to, to just shop? Who could I watch that ball game with instead of someone from my small group? We should be redeeming the time and thinking about how we're relating to those who are outside. Speak the word. Final hurdle. Don't dare fall into the trap of thinking that people today are so far gone, so secular, so disinterested that no one's ever going to believe. Listen to me. That is such a mistake if you look around at all the unbelievers and you assume every unbeliever is just walking in lockstep, marching with the spirit of our age. You could not be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. You just don't know it. You say, Brad, how do you know that? Well, I know from reading scripture and being 52 and talking with people and trying to love people. Trials and suffering shake people and wake people to begin to reconsider everything they thought was settled. The people you live with, play with, work with. Somebody just had a child who died. Somebody's wife just had a mammogram and it wasn't good this time and they had to go back and they had to do a biopsy and they are so afraid right now that this could be breast cancer. Somebody at 55 years old was just handed the pink slip and walked to the door awkwardly with security and told your your stuff from your desk will be in a box and you can pick it up next week and their world is just rocked. Somebody just woke up Sweaty from a terrifying dream about hell. Somebody in a corner office that so many of you wish you could get into in some corporation or in their beautiful home that you wish was yours just had a moment where they sat there and said, I've got everything I ever thought I wanted and I'm miserable and empty and spiraling into depression and drinking way too much now. Somebody just had a wave of guilt in a quiet moment that just passed over their soul and had a frightening awareness of, I think I am accountable to someone somewhere that's bigger than all this. Somebody alone in a hotel for the first time, instead of going down to the hotel bar, pulled the drawer open there at the dresser and took out the Gideon Bible and read about the prodigal son. These are the people you're living with, playing with, working with. God does the heavy lifting. God is working in people before you get there and keeps working in people after you walk away. God does the heavy lifting in preparing hearts, but we must speak words. Always know God is doing 10,000 more things than you can see. There's a song every time I hear it on the radio drives me nuts by superstar John Mayer called Waiting on the World to Change. I just scream in my car. Great tune, pathetic words. Very catchy, pathetic. All about me and my friends. We, we just don't, we're not able to rise above and beat it. We're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing, but how can we stand for any? And so then the chorus is like, so we're waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. That's so sad. It is not going to change. If you're here and you're a Christian, God has not called you to just pray and wait. He has called you to be a part of the change process. This world is going to change. This culture will change. Things will change one person at a time who comes to Christ. And you've got the message. You've got the hope. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got direct access to His throne. What are you doing? One person at a time. 
sharing the gospel, the good news. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to take a minute. I want you to to hear from God. You've heard from me. But say, God, what do you want me to take away from this? You might be here and you're not a Christian. I hope there was enough gospel in there that for you it could be come to Christ. Come to Christ. Isaiah 53 was for you. He was bruised for you. He was beaten for you. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. Come to Christ. But oh my goodness, if you're here and you already know Jesus, please ask him, what are the hurdles that are keeping me from being a spokesperson, from running the flag up the flagpole? And say, God, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to obey. What if everyone in this room at every campus, every job, in every neighborhood, at every gym, on every soccer field while your kid played soccer, looked for opportunities to just speak a word to those around you. And you may not even know they lost their job. They had a dream about hell. The wife has a cancer report. You don't know God is working in 10,000 ways beyond what we see. Talk to God a minute. Oh God, we confess we are weak. We confess we feel totally inadequate, fearful, overwhelmed. And yet, in all your wisdom and power, it was your choice and design to see that Christians whom you save, you leave them here to live it out, to work their jobs, to play ball, to have babies, to have grandbabies, to shop in stores, to take vacations, and to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us to lean into what matters most and begin to fulfill our calling that is more than having babies and more than building houses and more than going on vacations. Use us in all our weakness and fear for your glory. Bring people to Christ. Save lost sinners. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.